what the series is for this year. Growing. So we're going to keep in the theme of growing. Growing closer to Jesus, growing more in, in his image, not growing this way. That happens naturally. <laughs> want to be growing more that way. So the title of my message is called Growing in Community. You can't see the in because it was invisible because I didn't know how to put a word in a picture. So that was close. I'm growing in, commu- in community. The inspiration from, for my message this morning actually comes from our vision statement, which says, to be a large relevant church of mature believers who love our community. We all know that, don't we? We know that's our, um, our vision statement. I, when I boil down this, we're not boiling it, but when you really have time to meditate on this vision statement, there is so much in it because we understand what it looks like to have a large church. We understand what, what it looks like to be a relevant church. We know what it looks like to be mature. We don't always act mature, but we have the end goal in mind. And that is why we do Bible college, because we want people to be mature in the things of God and the Bible. Um, If you never pick up a Bible, except on a Sunday on your app, on your phone, I'm telling you, you're spiritually malnourished because we need God's word in us all the time. I often say that I would be really ugly without God's word. My attitude and my nature and my character needs to be continually renewed to be like Christ. I'm just talking for myself. So I'm saying I need it every day. And then the last part of our vision statement says of mature believers who love our community. Now we say that and we often think of our community as Port Lincoln because if we don't love Port Lincoln, we don't have a large church. We don't have a mature church. So um, that's where the inspiration from my message come from growing in community, because we're talking about our vision statement. We need to grow in our community. The scripture that Pastor Rob had when um, he first got the vision was from Habakkuk 2, 2 and 3. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Write an answer plainly on tablets. None of us have stone with um, chisels with us here at church. No, no. We have pens and paper. We can take notes on our phone. Back in Habakkuk's day, they only had tablets. So when you got a message from the prophet, you needed to write it down in the tablets. It said, so a runner can carry the correct message to others. There's nothing worse than having a Chinese whisper and it starts off as something can, you know, you've heard kids and by the time it gets to the end line, it's, something totally different, like we're going to McDonald's for tea. I never said that. Well, somehow along the line of Chinese whispers, that's what they've got. So we need a runner who can carry the correct message because it's been written down clearly on tablets. Um, It says so he can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it surely will take place, it will not be delayed. Now, have we ever seen that happen? Like, 
Some churches might think this is a large church, but if we've got 14,000 people in Port Lincoln, we're, um, dare I say, we've got room to grow. So we've, if you think it's slow in coming, wait patiently for it surely will take place. Because when we... So let's just talk about Habakkuk for a few minutes. Habakkuk was a prophet. He was a man who sought answers to difficult questions. He saw a dying world and it broke his heart. He would ask questions like, why is there evil in the world? Why do wicked people seem to be winning? Does that sound like the world that we're living in now? It does, doesn't it? Um, but Habakkuk boldly and confidently took his complaints directly to God. And that is where we need to go. If we don't understand everything that's going, we take them to God, take them to the Lord in prayer. And God answered Habakkuk and Habakkuk needed to be prepared. So unless, if you're asking, Habak if you're asking God a question, be prepared for God to answer. Write it down because he wants to speak to us. He wants to have that kind of relationship. So this morning, we are going to look at a few things. We're going to look at who is our community. We're going to look at what God says about community. And we're going to look at what is our part in community. So when I was thinking about our vision statement, just go back a couple. This vision statement is ever-increasing as it continually goes round. It's not like a vortex because a vortex sort of goes up on itself, but it's just ever-increasing and going round. So if we want to be a large relevant church, we need to love our community. Then when we love our community, we become a large relevant church of mature believers because we love our community. Can you see if we keep loving our community, if we keep loving them, we become a large church. We need to become mature, otherwise you don't keep them, but we then keep loving our church. So I was just talking to Pastor Rob about that, going, that is an incredible vision statement. Like, you know that comes from God because you're not that clever to come up with that kind of stuff yourself. Well, if I was coming up with it, I know it comes from God. So we've got to love our community and we've got to keep loving our community and keep loving our community. So... Why is it important to love your community? I'm glad you asked. Because it's our mission. That is what we were designed to do. So the short answer is it's God's pattern. So it's our mission, but it's God's pattern for our life. The spirit of community, get ready Bible college student, whoever you are, the spirit of community was one of the first principles taught in the early church. It was a principle Christ taught. He said we need to love and care for one another. Now, our Bible college students have done a subject on um, created for community. So I've asked one of them to come forward and just share for two minutes, stop watch on now, so I would run, um, and tell us what they got out of it. G'day church. So um, first of all, my name is Josh and I do have a huge privilege of doing Bible college here with the rest of my buddies. And so um, now Bible college has been awesome, but one of the very first uh, lessons kind of subject of the semester we were talking about, we had to read this book called Grateful Community. I'm not lying, am I? 
the book Create for Community. And so uh, there's a question of a, from one Bible verse I had. I got a, a question that was important. So we'll look at this. Genesis 2.18 it says this. Then, God, uh, then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is right for him. And so the important part there is that it's not good for man to be alone. And so then another thing we learned about Bible college is, learning, is using gender-inclusive language. So we could re, we say that by God saying, it is not good for humanity to be alone, right? So there's a question there. Why is it not good for humanity to be alone? Then we go back to another Bible verse, a few, literally the chapter before in Genesis 1, 26, and it says this. Then God said, let us, say us, make human beings in our, say our, our image to be like us, say us. So, um, and so then there's multiple aspects from that Bible verse which you'll hear Christians talk about, about being made in the image of God. Like one off the top of my head would be about dominion and so they say God's all-powerful and he has control over everything and so humans to represent that, we have control over the earth, like we have all the rules and everything else that we make because we're representing God in that facet of our beings. But that's just one, there's so many aspects. And so then, Another one is which I'm going to talk about now. So it says, God said, let us and in our. So God is multiple. And so, uh, and then this is where we have another thing with different religions. Other religions say, oh, our God is the same as a Christian God or the church's God. But then the difference is our God is not one. Our God is multiple when their God is only one. And so our, we know as Christian God, the church's God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Or we could say our God is God also Father, Jesus, Holy Ghost, um, depending if you want to go old school or not. And so we see God in himself is a community. There's, there's three parts. He's not one. So uh, an example is if I, had a, um, if I have a Lego man, if we know like, or Lego, if we be proper, um, he's got three parts, a head, a body, and some legs, and they all connect together and make the full thing. And so our God by himself, he's not just a head, he's three things. But us as a human we're not three parts, we are one. This is just it. And so a uh, way of looking at it, if I had a shoe, if I removed my shoelace and had it there and I saw my shoe with no lace, I'm like, that is not good. It's missing something. And so when God sees a human like he saw Adam who was alone, it's not good because it's missing something. And so for basically in this whole thing that we learned was for humans to be made in God's image, it, we have to do that with each other. And so the church is a divine principle from the start because the only way I can reflect God is by being with Michael, is by being with Guy, with Luke, with all of yous. That's how I represent God's image perfectly, because I can't represent God by myself. It's, it's a community thing, and so to be, so why is it not good for man to be alone? Because he's not reflecting God's image who he's made in, or for or girls. And so hopefully that gives you a bit of clarity. That's what I've learned. Just do Bible college next year, and you can learn some as well. But um, I'll leave it at that. May the Lord be with you, Josh. Um, yeah, so I hope that encourages you with even with Bible college because it is good, the information that you are taught. Um, yeah, so thanks for that, Josh. That's good. So that's his take on how we are created for community. Now let's look at some of God's word um, that talks about community. We're going to look up Mark 12. 30 to 31 says, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbour 
as yourself. No other command is greater than these. Now, that's what Luke wrote. Now, shall we see what Dr. Luke... That's what Mark wrote. Now, we'll see what Dr. Luke wrote. It says, the man answered, meaning Luke's talking about the man being Jesus. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. That's actually the same verse written by Mark and written by Luke. The reason that they both wrote the same thing was because it was obviously an important piece of information that we all needed to know. Because if the disciples are all writing the same, they're hearing the same language and they're going, wow, this is important. So Mark wrote, no other command is greater than these. Remember that in the back of your head. Because what it's saying is we need to love God with everything, with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, with, with all the confusion that we don't know, all the answers, as Lulu even spoke when, we were doing, when he was doing communion. Sometimes God's asking us to go from A to D and that in-between is unknown. But God's going, I want to come through with you, through it all, and I want to be with you in everything. So don't leave it to your own understanding. But he also said one other thing, because it wasn't just about us. It says, love your neighbour as you love yourself. Now, we are going to get on to neighbour, but I just want to stay on this whole theme of community for just a little bit longer. Now, the word community, now we're having an English lesson. The word community is made, it's a compound word. It means it's got two words that they put together. So, com means with or together. I should be an English teacher, shouldn't I? You're all excited. And then unity means unity or being unified or having a common union. So, put those two together and the dictionary tells us it's unity or being unified or having a common union. So, we're putting the together with everything else and we have what the word community means. Now, over the last couple of weeks, everyone's been bringing out these Greek words, haven't they? Yeah, so today is no different. The second part of the Bible, which is called the New Testament, was first actually written in the Greek language. And there's this Greek word. Mm, it's disappeared. Has it gone? I was so clever because I've been learning to say this word for the last few weeks. The word is koinonia. Koinonia. I had it written up there. Koinonia. It's a Greek word and it means, translated in our English language, to have fellowship or partnership. It implies being involved in something or with someone. It indicates a two-way relationship with emphasis placed on either the giving or the receiving. So koinonia is also translated as participation, communion or contribution. So when we look at all those words, for me, I 
wish you could have seen the word. I don't know how that disappeared. I must have just been getting nervous this morning going through it and deleted it. Um, so koinonia, it's a picture of everything working together, which is what community is all about. When we talk about everything working together, this next scripture makes me smile. It says in Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. This is the kind of church that I want to be known for. I want this community known for that and I want us known for that out in that community as well. I heard this analogy. Analogy is a bit like a story that's got a meaning. It's almost like a parable, I guess. So I'll tell you this analogy. The bride came down the aisle, but something was dreadfully wrong. She had a sleeve of her gown that was torn. She had a black eye, a fat lip. She walked with a limp. She had an arm in a bandage and her hair was a mess. Does anyone know what the analogy is? It's, this is what it is. Ah, there's the bride of, there's the bride of Christ. She's been in a fight again. Sometimes Christians don't act like Christians. Has the, the pin dropped now? So often we as Christians are known for what we don't agree with. We are not known for the hope, the love and the support that we have. I'm telling you, no bride wants to look like that on her wedding day. And I'm telling you, it's not God's plan for us either. That little story got me thinking of our family. Because currently we're planning a wedding. Well, we're not planning it. Mariah and Sean are planning a wedding. For those who didn't know, Mariah and Sean got engaged a few weeks ago. And they're getting married. So I was just heard that story and I just thought, imagine if Mariah comes walking down the aisle looking like that bride that I just explained. Besides being a frightening sight, I'm, so, I'm sure Sean would be feeling a little bit bewildered. This beautiful girl that I know and love, why would she behave like that on her wedding day? All the effort and the money we've spent on this day and you come up the aisle looking like that. It's not normal, is it? It's not normal. I just want you to remember that. If you remember nothing else but that picture of that bride who doesn't look like she's meant to, it's not the kind of bride we're meant to be. So, so if we would remember this scripture verse, which is one of our family mottos, it says, always, we're talking to each one of us. Say she's, nudge your neighbour and say she's talking to me. To me. So Pauline's talking to Pauline as well. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Because we love our community, we will make allowances for each other's faults. I was going to tell you all the crazy things why people have left church, but I really can't be bothered because I think you could probably tell me more stories that would make my hair curl as well because the reality is 
sometimes in the scale of life, the reason people get hurt and offended is it really doesn't matter if we could apply that scripture verse. Do you agree? Rob spoke a couple, Pastor Rob spoke a couple weeks ago a message about growing, our, about keeping our spirit growing. And some of the areas he covered in that message, and if you haven't heard them, listen to the last few podcasts because we are incredibly blessed with the speakers, with our pastor and with the other pastors that are speaking in the church. It says he talked about putting past hurts behind you. If you can learn to forgive and put them behind you, it will help you move forward. He spoke about being persistent. He spoke about keeping a spiritual perspective. And the only way we can keep a spiritual perspective is by having the Bible in us, to learn it and know it. He also spoke about serving others, which is all part of community. God never intended us to live a life on our own, to live a Christian life by ourselves. We were placed in community. We were not placed on an island on our, by ourselves. But you might think, if I stay by myself, I can't get into trouble. I can't offend anyone. I won't say anything that hurts. Sorry, that was never God's plan for you, and it still isn't. I heard Joyce Meyer say this week, if anyone's got Facebook and they like Joyce Meyer, um, you would have heard her say this too if you click in to listen to what she has to say. And this is what her little inspiration for this week. She's, she spoke about growing in maturity. And I think that's why I clicked on it because I thought, wow, everybody's talking about growing in maturity. The only, if the only time we grow spiritually, the, she said, the only time we grow spiritually is when we do what's right even when it doesn't feel right. If I feel like doing it, that's not a test. If everything in me wants to tell you off and instead I pray for you, now I'm growing. If everything in me wants to bail on my commitments, but because I want to be a person of integrity, I ask for the grace to do it with a smile on my face without complaining, now I'm growing. It's easy to say... Who wants to grow in God? You're not going to grow unless things make you grow. It's like you can't say, I want to lift the heavier weight, but then you never put a heavier weight on the bench. I can't say that I want to be fit and healthy and I keep munging out on chocolate and chips all day and never going for a walk. She said at the very end, we have to stop being afraid of hard things. Because some things are not always easy. We all tell our children that. And let me tell you where this all starts. Who knows where community all starts? It starts at home. And I can tell you from my experience, it's a wonderful training ground. And I seem to get plenty of practice. So, I just want to say again, if anyone wants a tattoo... I suggest they have this tattooed on themselves. Not that I'm endorsing tattoos, but I'll tell you what, I seem to need to know it all the time. It says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. 
Mother Teresa was asked a question when she won the Nobel Prize. The question was, what can you do to promote world peace? And she replied, go home and love your family. Loving our community is an action that we need to continually be doing. As I said, it does start with our family, but it doesn't stop there. We need to be continually looking out, continually being outward focused. That's what community is. I'm just saying that's a starting point if you're doing nothing, but we need to be continually reaching out and looking out. Let's look at some other scriptures on community. It says in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And Romans 12, 4 and 5, and Pastor Rob really spoke about this last week. Just as our bodies have many parts, each part has a special function. You have a special function. Do you know that? Say to your neighbour, I have a special function because we need you. We've all got something to bring. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we each belong to each other. I'm telling you, we need to apply scriptures on community to us personally because it's the only thing that's going to help us grow. You know, it's, each, it's up to each one of us to read and apply God's word. I preached a message a few months back and it was called Growing in Maturity. And in that message, we found out there's no shortcuts to maturity. There's none except persecution. Sorry, there's one, persecution. Start getting persecuted from your, for your faith and you certainly grow in maturity really quickly. But as I said, it takes time. But isn't it interesting that we want our brothers and sisters in the faith to get it instantly? We want the grace. We want them to be patient and kind with us. But when it comes to our Christian brothers and sisters, we're wanting them to get a hold of all this instantly. So God's talking to us this morning. Be humble, be kind, be patient. Make allowances for one another because of your love. Having a spirit of community is also a process we need to be committed to. It's a process that is revealed in the each other language of the New Testament because it says we to love one another, forgive each other, regard each other more highly than ourselves, teach and correct each other, encourage each other, Pray for each other and bear each other's burdens. Be friends with each other, kind, compassionate and generous in hospitality. Serve one another and submit to one another out of our reverence of Christ. This list just scratches the surface. But it is enough to remind us that we need the community of faith to grow up in Christ. The last part we're going to look at this morning is who is our neighbour? So we read before Mark 12, 30 to 31, and it says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. 
The second is equally as important. Love your neighbour as yourself. No other command is greater than these. We so often think that our neighbour is just the person that lives near us. But what Jesus was talking about, he was meaning all mankind, even our enemies. Jesus told us the parable about the Good Samaritan, which we'll go through in just a moment. And he made it clear to us who loving our neighbour is. So when we are to love our neighbour, it is all people everywhere. It's not just our friends, it's people from all over the world, including our enemies. When Jesus was talking in Mark 12, even though Mark's writing it, what do you think was actually going on before he said that? Do you want to know? It says in verse 28, so whenever you see a scripture verse that you actually like, don't just read that and take it. Actually find out what's happening before it and after it because it actually gives us an important piece of the picture of where it fits in. It says, One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. What's a debate? Sometimes Joshua says to, to us, Mum and Dad, stop debating. But what he's meaning is stop arguing. <laughs> I'm going, debate's a good word. We're just talking about it. Um, so obviously, one of the scribes, one of the people that are writing down what's going on, is listening to them argue. He realised that Jesus had answered well. Do you like that? Jesus had answered well. I want to be able to answer well when people ask me a question. So he asked, of all the commands, which is the most important? In verse 29, Jesus replied, The most important command is this. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbour as yourself. No other command is greater than these. So what Jesus is teaching us, it's our relationship with Jesus is inseparable from our relationship with loving other people. Can you see that? They're both as important. So he's going, both commands are just the same. There's no command greater than these, not this one, than these. We are to do both. So John tells us in John 13, 34 and 35, it says, so now I am giving you a new command. Love each other just as I have loved you. So you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. How do we create community? We better start being little Jesuses walking around Port Lincoln. Every single one of us. Because it's saying that is how we, they will know that we are different by our love. It's just not a song that they used to sing in the 1970s when they were being you know, Christian horror movies when they're going to have their head cut off. No, it's, it's, the, it's the word of God that he's telling us today because do we want to be a large relevant church of mature believers who love our community and continue to grow in that? There it is. Write it down. Now we're going to read from Dr. Luke again. 
about the most important command. So really, we're speaking the same verse. Mark, Luke, they're all saying the same thing, but we're going to talk about the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and strength and mind. I missed a couple of words because we've read it a few times. And love your neighbour as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbour? Isn't that interesting? So someone's not happy really with what's just been said. So we'll just throw in a curly question and just ask, just in case he says something different about who is my neighbour. I know, you really can't read that. Get your Bibles out, Luke 30. Luke 10, verse 30, because that is midget writing. I sometimes tell Rob off, but I'm thinking that is terrible. Okay, so from verse 30 from Luke chapter 10, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was travelling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by. Now, we've all heard this story before, so I'm not going to talk about the priest and the temple assistant. Even though they should have helped, they didn't. But for the sake of the story, we're going to keep going on to the man who did help because that's the moral of the story. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him laying there, but he also passed by the other side of the road. Then a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan smoothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these would you say was a neighbour to the man? The man who attacked the man. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbour to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, now go and do the same. He's asking us to show mercy. The Jews and Samaritans had been enemies for hundreds of years. The Jews of Jesus' society considered the Samaritans to be ceremonially unclean, so they weren't good enough for them. They were socially outcasts and they didn't believe in the same religious things that they believed in. Yet the Samaritan took pity on the poor man who had been robbed and beaten. He gave freely of both his time and his money to help this Jewish man who had been left by others and he came to help him. And you know what Jesus said at the very end of that story? He said, go and do the same. So this reinforces to us that loving our neighbour is loving everybody, including our enemies. 
Matthew 5, 43 and 48 says, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbour and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that is in Matthew 43 to 48. When I read stuff like that, I just go, wow, that is so powerful. And I think it's so easy to read, but it's so hard to apply. Because I find it easy to love people who love me back. I, I find that really easy. I find it easy to speak kind words to people who are kind back. I find it hard to speak kind words to someone who's always having a go at me. But what? But Jesus' word is opposite to that. He goes, if you can only do that to people who are nice to you, that's nothing. What he says at that very last line, he goes, well, in the New Living Translation, it says, but you are perfect. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. He says, you are. You are. It's a doing word. You are to be perfect. Because we can't do that in ourselves. Because we need Jesus to help us. Like the unselfish Samaritan man, in the parable we are called to extend our love and concern to everyone everywhere as our neighbours the last verse I just want to leave you with today is Matthew 7 12 and it's called the golden rule and I'm sure we've all heard it and I'm sure people have heard it who aren't even Christians they don't even know it is a Bible verse and it says do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. And it's saying this is the essence of everything that has been taught by the prophets. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. It really is that simple. This golden rule that Jesus spoke of is possibly one of the best known quoted scriptures of the Bible. It sums up all of Jesus' teaching in one short sentence. If we wish to be loved, we must love. If we wish to be respected, we must respect all people, even those we dislike. If we wish to be forgiven, we must forgive. If we wish others to speak kindly to us, we must speak kindly and avoid all gossip. If we want strong marriages, we must be loyal and faithful to our spouses. If we wish to be fulfilled in our lives, we must share generously with others. If we wish to reap the rewards of our Heavenly Father's love, we must truly love all His people. It doesn't matter where we find ourselves. Wealth, power and status 
count for nothing in God's kingdom. When we truly love our neighbours, we do our part to make this world a better place. I'm just bow your heads and we're just going to close in prayer this morning. So loving Father, we just come before you. And Lord Jesus, we do tell you that our desire is to grow in community. And it's only with your help, Lord, that we can truly love our neighbours as we love ourselves. You're meaning all people. So Father, I just pray that you just help that message to sink down in us, that we hear the message of you speaking the whole time. Whenever we come we come against um, we come up against all people in our walks this week, I just pray that we can have the mind of Christ to be humble and patient and kind and loving. So I just thank you, Lord, precious Lord.